0: And that way you get to share the love of God with them. But one of the things I have found between those people who are not believers and those people who are believers is that if you talk about the blessing of the Lord, what you often find out is people have this kind of wish-me attitude. Yeah, I wish I could be. I wish I would be as blessed as you. I wish I could have what you have. So it's got that kind of mentality which kind of drove, for me personally, the, the nature of the message that I have today, what I want to talk to you about is the ways in which God has already and is already blessing you. Because for so many of us, we, we have this pie in the sky sometime mentality, and we don't see that, in fact, God is already actively at work. How many of you actually woke up today? I'm asking, honestly, because I can tell for some of you, it's like, uh, I'm not quite there yet. Wait until after I eat lunch and I see if the bills are on, then I'll wake up. But you woke up and you breathed today. That's a blessing. How many of you got aches and pains, but you still got around? That's a blessing. You can feel things. I know people who don't feel anything, whose nerves have died. There are many, many blessings that we experience that we give no account to just because they're normal everyday stuff and we don't think about it. So I want to talk about the different ways in which God actually blesses us. How does God bless us today? So uh, if you are, you're Hebrews chapter 11, are you there? Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to be reading an assortment of verses out of Hebrews 11. I'm not going to read them all, I think they'll be up on the screen. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure they will be. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 5, if you want to follow along. Verse 5 says this, By faith, in fact, every time I say by faith, I want you to repeat it after me. So let's just practice, okay? "By By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. By faith, Noah... Oh, you guys are so slow. (laughs) Catch up. I need some young blood in here. All right, let me try it again. (laughs) Hey, I'm just saying, you know. How many of you have lived long enough to say, I'm grateful that I'm still alive? Come on. How many of you, this is completely separate. How many of you never thought about being as old as you are right now? It's like, I didn't necessarily think I would be dead, but I didn't think I'd still be alive. All right? All right, verse 7. By faith, faith. Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. By By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith... Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful, who had promised. By faith, faith. Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, where am I here? Uh, Offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By faith, faith. Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward by faith, He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, faith. he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. And may God add his blessings to the reading of his word, which you have assisted with today. Four weeks ago, we began this short series on the blessing of the Lord, which makes rich and adds no sorrow with it. And specifically last week, we looked at this whole issue of blessing our children. And I, I have to assume that to the largest extent, you guys as parents are much like Cavern and I, in that you love your children fully and passionately. You care about them. You, you look out for them. You want their best in all things. You are passionately loving your children as best you can. Um, when my kids were little, um, I got into this habit of staying up late. Uh, I would stay up late because when it was up late, I could watch TV undisturbed, I could read undisturbed, I could pray undisturbed, quite different from the rest of my day with my kids. Uh, But I would invariably, at some point in that night, I would find myself wandering down my hall to my kid's room, or downstairs to the cave, to my kid's room, and there I would stand in the door and I would watch them in sweet repose, just breathing. How many of you guys have ever done that? Just watch your kids breathe? Isn't Isn't it almost miraculous? There's something in you that wells up, it's like, I can't believe they can be this quiet. (laughs) But in most of those instances, as I would stand in the doorway or at times even enter into the room watching them, I would at times even lay my hands gently upon them so as to not awaken them, and I would bless them, and I would pray for them that they would exceed their mother and their father in every grace and gift of God that was possible. And I know for a fact that Karen is much more spiritual than I am. She's much better than I am on every level. And I have no doubt she did the same kind of thing at various times. And I have no doubt that you, who love your kids, have done the same kinds of things. You have prayed for your kids. How many of you have prayed for your kids? Of course you have, because you love them. You want to see them blessed. So, as I looked at that, you know, uh, I, and now by the way, I get the chance to do the same kind of things with my grandkids. I love it. I love it, I love it when my grandkids see me and their face lights up, which means they still like grandpa at this age. I don't know what the age is that I start being old, fuddy-duddy, boring, I don't know. But at this point, their face primarily still lights up. I, I saw Jennifer walking in today with little Izzy, and as soon as she saw me, she's smiling to beat the band. I love that, and I love holding my grandkids. And there's probably not a one of you in this church that haven't seen me at times holding a child somewhere. And it might be mine, my grandchild, or it might be yours. But normally, as I'm holding this child in awe of just the amazing way in which God has put them together and made them who they are, and thinking about all of the potential that is there in that little baby, I pray blessing upon them. I don't know, and you don't know, the extent to which our prayers will help to establish their destiny for ages and ages and ages. I love the fact that in this church, as small as we are, we have a bunch of little kids. And you would be shocked at how many of those little kids call me grandpa. I'm not their grandpa, per se, but I'm their extra grandpa, and I love that. I love the fact that kids feel safe in our house. They feel valued and wanted. So all of this talk about blessing, that's what it's about. We read now in Hebrews 11, if you want to look back there, Hebrews chapter 11, it, it's, how, how many of you know what Hebrews 11 is most often called? What is it? The faith chapter, Right? Or sometimes it's called the Gallery of Faith's Heroes. I mean, that's not the only famous chapter in the Bible. There's some others. How how many of you know what 1 Corinthians 13 is also called? The love chapter. What is Psalm 23 called? You don't know. The shepherd psalm. And yet you all know it just like you know the Lord's Prayer, even though technically it was a prayer He taught us to say. It wasn't His prayer. He's teaching us how to pray. Well, in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, God lists the names of... I, I didn't count. Maybe one of you guys can count for me and correct me later, but I'll say, let's say 10 or 12 people. God lists the names of these people, probably more by the time you get to the second half of that chapter. God lists the names of these people, but what I want you to catch is that in every single instance, this person who was named did something that impressed God so much that he wanted to make sure they were included in Hebrews chapter 11, the gallery of faith's heroes. So these were impressive people. But when we read the passage, I don't know if you noticed it, but there's something strange that I actually omitted in that reading. So let let me just notice it. Uh, I'm reading down through now. We we see uh, the first one. We see Noah, Noah, never having seen or even heard of a meteorological condition called rain, actually builds an ark against the coming deluge. I think that's amazing faith to believe that God can do something you've never even seen Him do before, and prepare for it. We we, we read of um, Sarah who was past the age for having children, yet it says by faith she conceived and bore a son. I think that's an amazing feat. We read of Abraham, who at the instruction of the Lord left on a journey to who knows where, because the scripture says he didn't know where, but then when he finally is on the journey at the instruction of the Lord again, he offers his son up as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. I think there's something of faith that's involved in that. Enoch, Enoch's a little bit different. Enoch didn't do anything. Um, (laughs) Enoch is kind of like the first example of the rapture in the Bible. Mm -hmm. It says that Enoch walked with God and he was not. It's, It's almost like Enoch and God went out for a walk one day and he just never went back home. He went to God's home. And that's kind of what happens about Enoch. But the Scripture does tell us that Enoch had so comported himself prior to that, that there was something about it of faith towards God. But then smack dab in the middle of it. Oh, by the way, don't forget Moses. I mean, Moses sets a whole nation free. But then right in the middle of it, there's verses 20 and 21. Look at them if you would. 20 and 21. And notice what it is that they did that was so noteworthy that God wanted to make sure they were included in Hebrews chapter 11. Think about it. You know, you're, you're 90 years old and you have a baby. That's pretty noteworthy. Never seen rain and you build an ark. That's noteworthy. One person leading a nation out of slavery. That's noteworthy. But look at verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. Right in the middle of all of these great demonstrations of faith, these two are mentioned for no other reason than that they blessed. Now think about that for a minute. I mean, that alone ought to get your mind thinking. If you look at all the other names in Hebrews chapter 11, and you can go through and read it on your own, I mean, some of these people, by faith, were willing to be stuck in a log and saw it in half, give their life up for the gospel, the good news about God. That takes courage and faith. In the midst of all of that, it's like God says, you know, building an ark, that's pretty awesome. That's cool. Thank you for doing that. I think that, that merits you, know, you, you being recognized. Um, Giving birth to a baby at 90 years old, yeah, that's worth it. Um, A man who walks perfectly with God, perfectly, the Scripture says, that's noteworthy. But it's almost like then God says, and by the way, don't forget to mention Isaac and Jacob. Don't forget to mention that these two men blessed their children and their grandchildren. That's all they did. I I know you could read Genesis and they did other stuff, but that's all that's mentioned here is that these two men blessed first their children and then their grandchildren. (coughs) It's almost like God is saying all this other stuff, that's cool. But did you see what Jacob and Isaac did? That you ought to take note of. It's it's not just that you bless your children, although I think that's important. It's that you bless children around you. Uh, most of you know that I um, do a little bit of walking. And in my walks, I come across people. And often, I come across children and teenagers. And do you know, invariably, I'm walking down the sidewalk. I can see them coming. I'm already thinking about you know, being able to greet them, say, hi, how you doing? That kind of thing. As I'm walking towards them, I watch them. They can see me coming, and they look down, and they look to the side, they look around, but they won't look you back in the eye. You have the opportunity to be a blessing to people, if for no other reason than by just smiling at them, instead of practicing your scowl to see if you can intimidate them. You actually have the ability, by body language, or sometimes by words, to bless and Who knows that that might be the only blessing that they receive that day. Or maybe for a long time. You and I have the blessing of being able to bless. In fact, that's biblical. We've received, therefore we give. And that's what I've been saying to you over these last several weeks. And that's all kind of a recap. That's just a recap of what we have been doing over these last few weeks. Laying the foundation for why it is so important that we actually learn how to receive the blessing of God, but then to give it out. We want to be a purveyor of it. So, what I want to do today, having reminded, I want to talk to you just very, very briefly about reminding you, first of all, that the grounds or the authority by which we have to bless is that we are the seed of Abraham. And I want you to keep that in mind. It's like you have a rich uncle, Daddy Warbucks, who is your uncle, who says, I have everything that I would ever need and more, and I am actually giving it to you. That's what God said to Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour upon you again and again so much you can't contain it, and you're going to give it to your children and to your children's children. We have received blessing upon blessing, but please hear me. You don't get blessed because you're so good. You don't get blessed because you're so holy or righteous. You get blessed because you're in Abraham's seed. Because the same faith that Abraham had towards God, you yourself have. So forget this stinking thinking that somehow thinks you deserve it because you're so good. You're not that good. He is that good that He would lavish us with all of these good gifts that he has. So the first thing that we have to see is that the grounds or the authority is that we are of the seed of Abraham. But then we actually are commissioned beyond that. First is the blessing received, but then is the blessing given. Because of our progenitor, our our forefather Abraham, we are told to do the same thing he did. We're to pass it on. So it's not just... um, I can't remember... I think the phrase is this, I wrote it down this way, but I don't know if it's true. It's not just the milk of human kindness when you pat somebody on the head and say, oh, God bless you, honey. That's not what I'm talking about. When you say God bless you, there is something substantive. There's something meaty that happens. You are pronouncing blessing of God over a human life. And that makes a difference in that life. Whether you see it immediately or not, something happens. What God pronounced over Abraham, he didn't see right away, and some of it he never saw because it was for generations yet to come, which God had pronounced ahead of time. I've said it again and again over these four weeks. You can't give what you don't have. The first step is to be able to receive the blessing of the Lord. And it's more than just mental understanding of it. It's actually receiving it personally in your heart, in your emotions, in your feelings, to know God's blessing actually rests upon me. I believe it, and I lay hold of that. That's all what we have been talking about over these weeks. And today, what I want to do is I want to go into Deuteronomy chapter 28. So if you'll turn there, Deuteronomy 28. I want us to look at the all-encompassing nature of God's blessing. I said to you at the beginning, I want to talk to you about how God blesses us. The, The ways, the means... Even the places that God blesses us, because I think all too often we're waiting for something else. Something down the road. I had somebody recently, uh, it doesn't matter what it is, it really doesn't, but I had somebody recently uh, send me a message that was pretty scathing. Very, very, very upset. And the implication is, you didn't help me. You didn't give me the money that I needed. Even though we had already previously, out of our own budget, given money to them, even though we had actually gone to visit them, be with them, pray for them, stay in contact with them, because they needed something more right now, you've done nothing for me. And I find that that's often an attitude even among unbelievers. You can lay your life down, but then the response is, yeah, but what have you done for me lately? Lately. Uh, I, I told you this story in our very first church that Kayra and I pastored. We had a man who was a, uh, a guy who actually cut wood for a living. And uh, he would go out with his skidster, cut down trees, pull them out, and get them all ready, and he'd sell wood. Well, he had a very, very serious chainsaw accident. He cut his leg up really badly, out of work for months. Our small church, we probably had 40 people in that church, our small church, Every single week, we'd go out and buy them groceries and deliver it to them because he couldn't drive. We would get them extra things that the kids needed for school. In fact, they told us in the midst of it, we were buying things that they never even bought for their kids, that their kids always wished they could have, but we were buying for them. Special treats for lunch or things like that. We helped buy clothes that they might need. We paid their mortgage, their insurance, their utilities, and we did this as a small church for six months. And after finally he was healed enough to go back to work, he went back to work, and a couple of Sundays went by. Just a couple of Sundays, I believe it was. And then I got a call one Sunday morning, and the wife, by the way, was our uh, organist at that time in the church, or maybe pianist, I can't remember. Um, But they called me on a Sunday morning at like 8 o'clock in the morning and said basically this. I'm I'm sure I'm rewording it badly, but it's close. Pastor, uh, we wanted to let you know we're leaving the church. And I'm like, I'm flabbergasted. Here we poured out and poured out sacrificially for you. I said, why? What's going on? Well, there's just no love here. And I find that often, without even realizing it, Christians are like that. Now I'm sure others are too, but I'm talking to you. It's, what have you done for me lately? Yeah, the fact that you came to visit me in the hospital, that was all nice, but what have you done for me today? And we forget how blessed we really are and that God has poured his presence upon us. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Remember, God had said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, but there was a condition to the blessing. The condition was, you have to come out into the arena in which I have determined to receive my blessing. You have to leave your household, your father's country, all of that kind of stuff that we talked about. You have to leave that. That was a condition for receiving the blessing. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, there is also a condition. Look at it in verse 1. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all His commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings, these blessings He's about to enumerate, all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. There's a condition. It's called obedience. I, I want to say to you as a New Testament believer, I don't think the condition is that you have to be perfect. You have to obey every jot and tittle perfectly, and if you ever fail, you're under God's curse. That's not what I think at all, and I don't think that's what God says. I think what God's saying is, do you have a heart to serve Him? to please him. That's what Paul tells us. Paul tells us in his writings, he says, we ought to seek to please the Lord in what we do. Is that in your heart? And beyond all of that, it's Christ's righteousness, his perfection that has been put to our account. So it's no longer about us being perfect, it's about the fact that he is perfect and has put all of his perfection on our side of the ledger sheet. He said, Because I am, I give you what you don't have in yourself. And so, Moses in writing this is saying there's a condition. But the condition for us has been fulfilled by Christ as we have a heart to walk in obedience to serve Him. And then he gives us seven ways seven ways or places that God says He will bless you. And I want you to see them. Look at verse 3. The first one. Verse 3. Blessed shall you be in the city And blessed shall you be in the country. The first thing has to do with location. Location. The Lord says, I'll bless you, and I want you to hear me. I will bless you wherever you are. Is that pretty all-encompassing? Wherever you are, I'm going to bless you. There are some of you here today who in the deepest recesses of your heart live wishfully. You wish... Blessing would come upon you. If only this would happen, then I would be blessed. If only I could move from this house, which is a junky house that has bad floors and it's dry, if only I could move from here over to here, then I would be blessed. And we live with that kind of wishful thinking every day. If only, if only I could get a better job, then I would be blessed. If only I could. Finally have my wife changed. Then I would be blessed. It's all of those if-onlys. It's all of that wishful thinking, once upon a star. And that's what Moses is addressing. He says, no, that's not going to change anything. The truth is, God has already committed to blessing you where you are. What I want you to get is there is no escapism involved in walking in God's blessing. It's not a matter of running away from something to hope for something better. It's finding God's presence in the midst of it. Um, I have, uh, again, just people I come in contact with different situations, whether it be within my extended family or just in the church or community, but I, I recently had somebody who was very upset about some situations in their life. Very, very upset. And my brother-in-law said something really interesting to me. My brother-in-law said, the problem is she has to find God in the midst of it. And that's the problem for many of us. We're waiting for our situation to get better. And then God will be for us. Instead of finding God in the midst of it. And my question to you is, no matter what you're facing, what is God doing in you in the midst of it? Because yes, God can change the situation. He can change your location. But what is God doing right now in the midst of that and what is he doing in you because sometimes i have found that the greatest lessons i have learned have come through hard dealings the hard stuff i've gone through i learned far more about me and about god going through some of that stuff than i ever did about some of my victories i love my victories but i've grown a lot as i've gone through some struggles so the first thing he says is he said he wants to talk to us about our Uh, location. The second thing that God promises to bless is your family. Deuteronomy 28.4, blessed shall be the fruit of your body. And maybe it's possible that you're sitting here today as are many that I'm aware of, including in my extended family, and your child perhaps has wandered far from God. And you're like, God, where is your blessing? Where is your blessing upon my family? But here's what I want you to get. Most of us live very, very aware of our weaknesses and our failings as parents. But God here is committing to bless your children. That's His promise, His commitment to you. He's promised. Now, whether or not they want to receive it, whether they want to walk into the arena where they can experience it, that's up to them. But God is committed to blessing the fruit of your body, your children and your grandchildren. And there's not a one of us that hasn't failed as parents and maybe as you're looking at your own life you're seeing that your failings your weaknesses are what caused your children to wander but one of the things i i've got a screen that i came across i don't know if you guys have that could you put up the next screen yeah i came across this and i love this god has already factored my stupidity into my destiny when he called me he knew just how stupid i could be sometimes And He still loved me. And He took it into account. And the truth is the same for you. Yes, you've probably failed as a parent, as have I. I have things that I would love to go back and undo or redo. But God took all of that into account. And one of the things that I said to you last week, I hope you caught it, because if all you caught was that I came from a broken background, you've missed the whole thing. The truth is, that broken background, growing up as I did, actually caused me, by God's grace, to become who I am, which means that I'm able to connect with people in a very specific way. Now, how many of you hearing my story could identify it with out of your own family? How many of you who were here last week, hearing my story could say, I could could identify, I had a lot of the same kind of stuff. Let me see your hands. Okay, now, if I had never experienced that, how could I identify with you at all? It's because God allowed me to have imperfect parents that did some things that maybe weren't the best, but God in His grace uses even that. And what I want to say to you is, God even uses our failings redemptively. Even the things that we blow, God is still able to redeem it. He says in Joel, He's going to restore to us what the canker worm has eaten. In other words, what our own junk has destroyed, God is able to restore to us. So my statement to you this morning is, God wants to even bless within your family. And you could say, well, my child's not there. I would suggest that, number one, you pray for your child. Pray for them faithfully. Pray for them every single night. We go through and we pray for our family every night. Karen and I, we found that the best time for us to pray together is at night. Uh, We have different morning schedules, but at night we can pray together. And we pray for them. And sometimes it's just like praying through their names. Other times when something's going on, we pray very specific prayers for them specifically about the situation they're in. But that's not going to change whether they're doing great or whether they're not doing great. We're going to pray for them because we believe God has committed himself to blessing our children and our children's children. And I want to encourage you, first of all, to pray for them. But second of all, can I recommend a course of action that might seem like mind-blowing to you? I know it's out there a bit. But I want to suggest that whether they're walking with God or not, you can still love them and show love to them. I can't tell you how many parents I've met, Christian parents who said, well, they're not walking with God, so I don't have anything to do with them. I told them, you know, I love you, but I'm not going to have anything to do with you while you live like that. I would recommend that instead you actually enter into their life and love them. I'm not talking about entering into their sin, but enter into their life and love them. Let them always feel like they are welcome in your home. Love them as you're praying for them, as you're blessing them in the name of the Lord. And remember that when we're looking at this, this is so important for us to keep in mind that yes, we failed. But God knew about our failures ahead of time when He made us parents. He knew that we weren't growing up into it yet. And He knew that there was no manual that could tell us exactly what to do in every single situation. But He still used us as parents. As imperfect as we are, he still chose to use us to bless our children. Number three, the third thing the Lord says he'll bless is your vocation. Your vocation. He says in verse four, Blessed shall be the produce produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Now, obviously, that's agrarian. It's agricultural in nature. But I believe that what God is saying is whatever job you're in, he will bless. And here's one of the things that I have found it would do most of us well to quit waiting for the perfect job and the perfect boss and just do the job you've got. Just do what's in front of you right now to the best of your ability as unto the Lord. Quit praying for God to um, change everything in your life, give you a new job, a new boss. Instead, how about you actually live for Jesus right where you're at? I had a boss. Well, I've had some interesting bosses in my life. Uh, One of my bosses, who was a Christian, actually went to Elam. He was um, an interesting guy. But when he would be doing his work, I worked for him as a Mason. When we'd be doing work, he would get mad because things weren't going the way he wanted. And it would be nothing for him to actually hit you and throw you off the scaffolding or to throw buckets at you. He'd get mad. I worked for another boss. He was a German. He was a interesting guy. He was a German. He, he was also a Christian. Uh, it would be nothing for him to get in your face and swear at you using swear words. I, growing up on the farm and among construction crew, had never even heard. I didn't know you could use those words as swear words. He'd get in your face and lay into you. But I still believe that God had me in those places for a reason. And he used those places in my life to change me but he also used me to help change the situation. So quit trying to run away from your job and your boss. Actually be a blessing right there and receive the blessing of the Lord right there. The fourth thing he says is he will bless your supply. He said, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. This is Jesus in the Lord's prayer saying, give us this day our daily bread. He will give us enough for now. He's not promising to make you rich and let you live in the lap of luxury. He's going to give you what you need now. When you need it. There was a book that came out back in the 1970s, I think it was, maybe 73, 74, something like that. And it was called King's Kids. How many? Any of you guys remember King's Kids? Harold Hill? Okay. It was a real well-known book. And the whole idea was, because you're a son or a daughter of the king, you should be living higher than everybody else. You should be living in mansions. You should be living with the best cars, the best clothes, the best everything. And anytime, in fact, they would say things like this, although it wasn't around, I'm going to use this example. If you buy your clothes at Walmart, you're living beneath yourself. If you go to, I'm trying to think of another place, Target. If you go to Target and you shop, there's something wrong with you. If you shop at any place other than Wegmans, you're living beneath yourself. And I'm not even sure about Wegmans. The point that he was making is that because you're a, quote, King's kid, you should live like you're rich. You should be rich. And I want to suggest to you, God promises to give you what you need when you need it. He doesn't promise to make you rich. And for some of us, we've gone through hard times that we didn't know if we would make it, but by God's mercy and blessing, we have made it through to here and God's going to continue to bless us daily, every day. Give us this day our daily bread. One of our friends, uh, John Shiver, some of you remember John. John used to say, God will get money to you when he knows he can get money through you. I love that saying. The problem for most of us is we believe the blessing is for us. It is for you, but it's not only for you. It's to pass through you to others. The fifth thing that Moses delineates in verse 6. He said, He will bless your daily duties. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. Can I just recommend that for some of you, the best thing you could do is to take that verse and write it on a 3 by 5 card and put it on your mirror, maybe in your car, and just read it and remind yourself that it doesn't matter what you're doing, God's with you. He has committed himself to blessing you in all of your dailyness that you have to do, whether it's getting your kids up in the morning and having to go through the same routine, going to the same job every day and having to do the same thing over and over and over again, and you're just wondering when you can finally retire. God has committed to blessing you there. One of the comments that I find really interesting uh, when I sit at Bud's, people come in, and Paul Rissinger, who owns Bud's Delicatessen with his wife, Lindsay, Paul will say to them as they come up to the counter, So how are you doing? Let's say their name is Bob. Uh, there happened to be a guy yesterday. How you doing, Bob? Ah, just another day in paradise. I got to tell you, he doesn't sound like he's living in paradise. Can I just say to you, and this is something that God has made super clear to me, even this week. Today, today is not just another day. Today is a day that God gave you. This is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. You have a choice of how you approach your days. You can blame everybody else for all that's wrong in your life. You can blame the pastor and the church. You can blame your job and your boss. You can blame your spouse. You can blame your kids. Or you can say, today is God's day. And He's given it to me as a gift. And he has purposed to bless me in all that I have to do today. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 16: O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance in my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. How about we start to thank God for what we do have instead of complaining about what we don't have? Thanking God for the job you do have. Maybe it's not the best job. Maybe the boss isn't the best. But I have a job, and it's bringing money in that pays my bills, that gets me through my days, for which I am grateful. Thank you, God, for your help, even for your patience and courage to face this every single day. Thank you, God, for my spouse. Instead of wishing for a newer model, how about you thank God for the spouse that he's given you? as imperfect as that spouse is, and I guarantee he and she is. But nonetheless, God gave it. Every single day, new mercies are yours. That's what the psalmist says. New mercies every day. And then David said, goodness and mercy are going to follow you every day. Every single day. The sixth area that God has committed to bless you. And again, this whole message is about you understanding God's all-encompassing blessing. It hits every arena of your life. The sixth area is your struggles. Deuteronomy 28.7 The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Let me just say to you, the blessing of the Lord doesn't mean you won't have struggles. The blessing of the Lord doesn't mean there won't be tough times and you'll have conflicts. The blessing of God doesn't promise that you won't be sick or that you'll be stress-free. This week, even today, I woke up for whatever reason, not feeling good, sick, sore throat, you know, that kind of thing. You feel it's not bad enough to put you out, but it's bad enough to be an annoyance. Well, I want to suggest to you that God's word doesn't promise I will never be sick. He promises He will be with me in the midst of it. He will be with me no matter what I'm going through. He will be with me in my sickbed and in my uprising. That's his promise to me. I will go through struggles. But he says, when you come up against those things, I will be with you. That's his promise. Because remember, the blessing of God is not the acquisition of money or stuff. It's the protection, the provision, and the profusion of his presence. That's what God's presence is. Or God's blessing is. It's his presence. If you've got his presence, everything around you begins to change relationship with Jesus isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not a, you've won the publisher's clearinghouse check. It's having God's presence in the midst of all that you're going through. And then he says, when you come up against that stuff, God says, I'm going to come against the enemy until he blows up in seven different directions. And seven is the number for perfection. In other words, God says, I'm going to perfect in you that which I want, even through all of this. And finally, number seven, the seventh thing, is found in verse eight. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses, and in all to which you set your hand, he will bless you in the land which your Lord, your God, is giving you. Essentially, it means he's going to bless you in your enterprises. I believe God wants to give to people, even in this church, creative ideas about ways in which they can actually make money to be entrepreneurs. And he goes on and he delineates it in verses 9 to 13. I'm not going to take time today. But to summarize, he's saying, I want to bless creativity in all that you put your hand to. Um, I was meeting with a guy yesterday, maybe some of you guys know, Donnie Wallace. Donnie Wallace uh, is a, an electrician in the area. He was one of Bill Roop's, he still is one of Bill Roop's best friends. And Donnie comes in, Donnie's had a hard year, but he's always very, very positive. He's had a, knee replaced this year he had his prostate out i mean you you just name it he's gone through a rough year physically and it started with him just saying my knees are crunched i can't even go up a ladder anymore but we're sitting down and we were just talking together and i was asking him about his life and again everything that i'm doing there i'm trying to find an open door not bang open a door but i'm finding the open door god would give me to share the gospel and then he said an interesting thing at one point yesterday he said, you know, I have solved more electrical problems in my sleep than about any other way. I said, what? He says, I'm facing stuff that I'm thinking, I, you guys have made a mess of this. I'm not sure how to fix this without tearing it all apart. He said, I go to bed at night, and I wake up, and I know the answer somehow. Now, that was my open door. I said, who do you think gives you those thoughts in the night, Donnie? But is it possible that God has some creative things He would like to do in and through you? That He would like to bless your business practices, the things that you put your hand to, that it's no longer just squeaking by. I wanted you to catch today the all-encompassing nature of God's blessings, that it's not just wishful thinking, but that God actually is already blessing you in your jobs, in your relationships, in your marriage, in what he provides for you on a daily basis, God has continued to pour blessing upon you. And instead of complaining that you have to use the money that you have saved to pay your bill, how about thanking God you have saved some money, he's enabled you to save some money, so that you can pay your bills. And, and again, I'm just like you guys. I, I'm sure you guys are the same. I mean, we, we will save our money, and we've got our money, and we've saved it, and we think we're going to use it for this, and then something breaks down, and we've got to buy a new car. And it's like, God, I didn't want that money to go for that. I wanted it for this. And then you have to come back to it. But thank you that you enabled us to save it because you knew what we would need when we would need it. You knew. We have uh, not quite three weeks till Thanksgiving. Wouldn't it be nice if during these three weeks you actually took some time to thank God for his many blessings in your life? Instead of complaining... I mean, Facebook, honestly, I had somebody say to me, uh, wrote me and just said, I wanted to let you know that I'm going off Facebook. It's just too discouraging. I can't read it anymore. And I understand. I really do. Wouldn't it be nice if instead of using Facebook as a place to rant and to give your agenda, how about you instead just used it to give thanks to God for what he has done in your life and actually encouraged people with it? And wouldn't it be even nicer if instead of waiting for Thanksgiving time to do it. You actually did it throughout the year. You actually used it to give thanks. David said in Psalm 103, "'Bless the Lord, O my soul.'" So again, this is a man who knows the blessing and he's received it, and he's now giving back. "'Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless His holy name. "'Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction.'" who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, and forget not all His benefits. Would you stand with me?